If you're a guest this morning, we welcome you. Um, this is the time where we just open up the Bible. We usually go through books of the Bible. Right now we're in a series of in the book of James. And while we go through um, a sermon, kids pre-K to like third grade-ish can go to class. Um, so James chapter 3. Uh, we, we've been going through this series. We've called it Authentic Living, like this idea that James gives us a picture of, um, of what a Christian should look like. When your heart has been changed by God, when God grabs a hold of you, gives you this new life in Him, you should look differently than you used to. And so that's this whole idea of authentic living. And James 3 picks up something from James 1, uh, this idea of your words, your tongue, your mouth, the things you say. And you think about our country and just like, or not just our country, our world, just social media has made words so just common and prevalent. Like they're just everywhere. It's so easy to say things. Whether it's so many characters or a post, a blog, everybody says something today. And James would encourage you to be careful with your words. And I've entitled this morning's sermon, Sticks and Stones. We've all heard the little nursery rhyme that parents would tell their kids, you know, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. That is the dumbest thing ever, right? Like, we've all been hurt by words. Some of you, you still have deep wounds and scars from something somebody said to you on the playground, like many years ago, or in middle school, where somebody just said something about you, and you've never gotten over it. It's shaped and formed who you are today. And so we're going to look at sticks and stones in our words, and do they really hurt us? So let me pray for our time in the Word. Let me just pray for the United States as well. Father, we come to you um, thankful for this country that we can just... Um, come to a church on Sunday and we weren't really concerned about getting caught or uh, taking the prison this morning. So we are thankful for a lot of the freedoms we have in this country. Or I'm thankful that I can just carry my Bible and I can talk to people in the streets about you. And this morning as we um, corporately open up the word, I pray that lives would be changed. I pray that those that need to be convicted of sin would be convicted. Those that need to be encouraged will be encouraged. Lord, you know the hearts of every man and woman in this room, and you know what they need to hear this morning. So I pray that we'd all be fed from your word this morning, that it would be powerful, that we would leave satisfied in you. Lord, I pray that you would overcome my limitations to allow me, just in my, uh, in my flaws and limited vocabulary to explain the mysteries of the gospel. Lord, may you be lifted high today. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. James 3 starts out with a, with a warning, one that uh, frightens me. Uh, in James 1... And two says this, chapter three, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. 
So here's this warning right from the very beginning of this chapter. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We learned a little bit about James here because he says we, and so we know that James is a teacher. We, we, if you've been here through the series, you know that James was a pastor in Jerusalem. The church experienced persecution and began to spread, and so he's writing to the scattered church. Uh, and he's one of the teachers, and he's saying, we, we will be judged with greater strictness. It frightens me as a teacher of God's word that one day I'm going to stand before him, and I'm going to be judged with greater strictness than those who aren't teachers. And so we're going to see four attributes of, of our words and why this truth is here, why why should teachers be judged with greater strictness? In our society, we'd say, that's not fair. Uh, and, and I think there's good reasons why teachers probably should be judged with greater strictness. Um, <coughs> verse 2 shows us that, um, that there are people who are mature. Probably the process of chapter 1, that when you face trials of various kinds, you're growing, you're persevering. Uh, you're growing in your faith, and so that James says in chapter 1 that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so here's this idea that someone, if he does not stumble what he says, he is a perfect man, meaning that he is matured. This is a mature Christian. Mature Christians are quick to listen, slow to speak, as also in James 1. Uh, that they are calculated with, with their words and they think through it. If I say this, this could happen. And so here's this picture that there are some people, it seems like, that, uh, that they have matured. They have persevered through, through their trials and they're growing in their faith and they're able to control their words. Uh, and so we're going to look at four attributes of, uh, of our words this morning. And so first attribute we see here. In this passage is that words are powerful. Words are powerful. Verse 3 and 4. Uh, look at this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Yet so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Our words are so powerful. This is one of the reasons why teachers will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, the words that you hear, and it's so scary to me. I actually had this conversation with a guy uh, within the last few weeks. He said, do you think if you began to teach something that you didn't believe in, uh, that your congregation would begin to follow that? And man, it really challenged me. I had to think about the, the power of our words. And one of the scary things as a leader is, um, is sometimes I'll hear you pray things that I've prayed, uh, like the same phrases. You know how we all have our ways that we pray, certain language that we use. And I'll hear something like, oh, wow, I say that. I wonder if they picked that up from me. And this idea, and this is something that I learned in seminary and has frightened me ever since I heard it the first day, was that... At some point, the people in your church will become very much like you, which is why the leader needs to 
strive after Christ as much as possible because they will pick up the good and the bad attributes of any leader. And that's scary to think about. Uh, it's the same with parenting. You see children take on the attributes of the parents. Uh, I, I see that with my kids. They, they, they'll say and do things that they've seen me do and say. And so here, words are powerful. Um, we, we, James gives us two illustrations. One is of a horse. Think of the bit, just that little piece that fits in the mouth. And a horse is so strong and big, but yet that little piece will guide the horse wherever, uh, wherever you want them to go. You pull the bit back, and they'll stop. Second illustration here is that of a ship and a rudder. Uh, the largest aircraft carrier today is um, the Gerald Ford class. It's huge. It's like four and a half acres big. Uh, around 4,500 people can be on this aircraft carrier at one time. Um, around like 70 aircrafts it can hold. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a small community. Uh, but yet at the back side of it, there's going to be this small rudder. Less than 10% of the aircraft carrier is going to be right there in that rudder. And it's going to guide that ship wherever the pilot wants it to go. Uh, and, and, and James is showing us our tongue is so small, but yet it's so powerful. It controls our whole body. Uh, that wh whatever it, it, it says we're going to do and um, leads us to our second attribute. Words are powerful, but yet they're also so destructive. Words are destructive. 5b says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the course of life, and set on fire by hell. Uh, and so here's this very frightening idea that our words are not just powerful, they're destructive. This is where the sticks and stones may Break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Like, man, you know that's a lie because some of you have been destroyed by words. Uh, someone said something to you and it just, it hurt. There's deep wounds in this room this morning. You've probably been on the side of the wounds and you've probably given a few yourself to others. Look at the language here in this passage. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Now, our society would tell you that mankind, we're kind of just moral. We're just, we start out kind of good. But look at this language here. We are, are, are it's a world of unrighteousness sitting in our mouth. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That is our tongues. That is who we are. You think about children. Children say some very mean things. It's just, it's an instrument for them of showing us your heart, which we'll see in a minute. And, and so here, words are so destructive. Parents, my goodness. We have to realize this, that our words are destructive. How we speak to our children may Scar them for years. 
I, I hear parents, and this is from the baseball field to just, uh, just around the community. I pray I never hear this language here, but I hear parents say, you're so dumb. I can't believe you'd do something like that. You're stupid. And you guys have heard far worse. I just think about that child that hears that over and over and over. My, my goodness, even in a marriage, the way I've heard husbands talk to wives and wives to husbands, because words are so important, one of the premarital counseling sessions that I do, like if a couple comes to me and says, hey, I would love for you to, to perform my, my marriage, before we, do, before we ever get to that day, we do mar- uh, premarital counseling. One of those sessions I spend on just words, communication. How do you talk to each other? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard women, like wives, belittle their husbands in public. Like, oh, you have no idea what you're doing to that man. You're just demanding him. Uh, he's less than a man right now because you're putting him down in front of all of his friends. You just, guys, like husbands, like your words, the way you speak to your, your wife, your, your bride, it's a reflection of what Christ would say to his bride. I think about how you say those insults or those jabs that you take at her. May it never be. Our words are given to lift up, to encourage, to build up one another. And yet we use them to tear down and rip each other apart. Words are so important. They're powerful. They're destructive. Scary one. Words are uncontrollable. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. You read that again in case you checked out. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's in your mouth. It's uncontrollable. No human being can tame the tongue. You, you, you see earlier in verse 7, it says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James brings in uh, this idea of, of a zoo. All the animals can be tamed, but yet we cannot. Our tongues are wild. They're uncontrollable, poisonous. It's a restless evil. Here's a picture of a uh, poison uh, dart frog. You see how small that little guy is? Small, I mean, right on your thumb, maybe an inch in size, is one of the most poisonous animals in the world. Uh, if you took, maybe in your, in your Bible, the size of a period, okay, that would be enough uh, poison from this frog to kill a human, just from a period on a page. And I just think about us, how much poison have we injected in other people by what we said? We say something and 
we just bite them. And it just goes throughout their bodies and just kills them. They're not the person they used to be. Why? Because the way that they have been spoken to. Our tongues are uncontrollable. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, from that, we should just, why do we even try, right? Why would we try to tame the tongue? James shows us something, um, something extra that is, is not just our words are powerful, destructive, uncontrollable. Our words are also revealing. Our words are revealing. Verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our words reveal something about us. This, this is so. This is so fascinating to me. Our words are uncontrollable. They reveal something about us. And here's this picture of this double-minded man back in chapter one. You remember that in chapter one, um, around verses six and seven. There's this double-minded man who's unstable. That's what this guy is. He's he's unstable. He's he's. You know, singing songs on Sunday morning, praising the Lord. Amen, hallelujah. But then on the way home, he's cursing out his wife and children. Or he's bashing his co-workers the next day. And James is going, how is this even possible? How is it possible? Can a salt pond yield fresh water? And you think about it, it's either fresh or salt, right? If it's fresh and you mix some salt with it, what does it become? Salt water. And, and so James is saying, you, you can't do the whole praise God thing and then curse out your family. You, you just can't do that and say, like, I'm a Christian. Because if you're a Christian then you wouldn't do these things. And James is saying, there's a problem, there's a disconnect here. You are a double-minded man. James pulls a lot from what Jesus says. Jesus says in Matthew 12, I love this. We've read this already in previous weeks. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. And he's talking to a religious audience, okay? To people who would come to church, even leaders in the church. But then they were just so mean and cruel. These were the men who wanted to crucify Jesus. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. 
So what James is saying here, this is so important, is that your words are revealing. What are they revealing? They're revealing your heart. And the heart is the problem with mankind. Our hearts, Jeremiah reminds us, are desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. They're deceitful. We all start out with a wicked heart. And a wicked heart will speak wicked things. A wicked heart will speak good things. Why? Because the wicked motivations that you may have. I know if I'm wicked, and I remember having this wicked heart most of my life, before Christ saved me, I had this corrupt heart. And even when I was corrupt, I knew how to say really good things to the right people so that they would trust me and do what I wanted them to do. And so just because you see somebody, hear somebody saying good things, doesn't necessarily mean they have a good heart. Our hearts are deceitful. They can trick us. And James is saying that your, heart, your words are revealing your true self. And so here we see this picture of, of our words being powerful, they're destructive, they're uncontrollable, and they're revealing. This idea that they're destructive, they're, they're like a fire. And I love this picture that, that our words are uncontrollable, they're this fire, our hearts are wicked, but yeah, I love what Jesus came to do. He came to redeem us. To fix us. To fix our hearts. And our words are, are like a fire. And I love what happens as soon as Jesus ascends back to heaven after his resurrection. Uh, a glorious day in our history happened in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire uh, appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I love that when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, when you are changed, you now have this, these tongues of fire, like your words are so powerful. And so here's this picture that God's changing, that when we are changed, our words used to be words of destruction, they used to be like a fire, now our words are, are these beautiful instruments of fire, words that will re refine, change, shape someone. This past week, so I'm just going to be open and honest with you. Most Sundays I go home feeling depressed. Um, there's different levels of depression that a pastor experiences on Sundays. Uh, usually it's mild depression. But in some ways I go home just thinking, man, Lord, that sermon just was awful. No one will, you know, our church is going to fall apart. No one will come back next week. Some levels of that every Sunday, okay? And... Um, Last week was like that. I, I went home just thinking, man, like I was just 
just kind of off. I, I don't know if I made any sense. And, and it was the most amazing thing. I, Olivia later Sunday gave me a, a, a letter. I waited till Monday to read it because usually when I get a letter from someone in the church, just being honest, from years of experience, it's usually something wrong. This is all the things that you've done wrong or why our church isn't growing. And so I'm like, I'm not even going to read that today. I'm going to wait and read it tomorrow. And so I come in Monday morning, and I'm like, all right, let me go ahead and face it. Open up the letter, waiting for this chastisement of words. And I got this beautiful letter of just encouragement. And it just filled my soul. I was so encouraged. And it was just from a member of the church who just wanted to encourage their pastor. And man, it just, Mondays is like my big prep day. It's when I study scripture. And I usually do that first. And for whatever reason, I'm just going to say, maybe the Lord knew I needed it. But I read that first. And it just really encouraged me to begin studying and preparing for this message. And man, it was just so uplifting to hear one of, you know, one of my sisters uh, just encourage me. Later that day, I get a text, a real long text. Uh, and it was from a guy in this church, and it was just encouraging me from Sunday's message, just how it really helped him and spurred him on for this week and just really thanked me for being his pastor. And just some words. And, man, it changed me. Two godly people encouraging me with their words. And it just changed my week. Our words can do so much for good or for harm. And some of you, you may have tongues that you just can't control because you've never been changed. And the only way that you can be changed, and verse 8 seems kind of helpless, like, okay, if nobody can tame it, why we even bother? Just let our words fly. Look at social media. <laughs> it's very prevalent. Like, some people don't even care. Uh, you just tweet out things. You post things. I'm just, like, shocked. Like, why would you ever post that? Blows my mind how quick some people are to post things. And, and I know you're changing everybody's opinion when you post it, right? Because it happens all the time. But we're so quick to post and say things. Just wish we would just once just think about like that. We're just quick to listen, slow to speak. So where's the gospel in all of this? There's this picture here of, of this like helplessness. And when I read this, I think no human being can, can tame the tongue. Just kind of give up. I'm helpless. Here's the hope. John 1. John 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He. So you see this shift here. That, that there's this Word in verse 1. Now... The pronoun in verse 2 is masculine. It's a personal pronoun. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us this is the gospel message is that you can't tame your tongue 
but Jesus Christ can. When Christ comes into your life, what happens is, is he takes out the old heart of stone and he gives you this new heart of flesh. It's what Christians have been called born again. You get a new life in him. You get to start over. And the way that happens is through repentance. You say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I've been trying, but I just can't. I quit. I give up. I need your help. You have to come into my life. So I'm confessing my sin today. I'm asking you to save me from my sin. I trust that you have because you lived the perfect life. You died on a cross where I should have died. It should have been me, but you took my place on the cross. You defeated death, the grave you overcome, and now you're alive. By you being alive, you've shown us that you have the power to come into my life and that you can tame my tongue. But taming the tongue first starts with getting a new heart. Because our tongues are revealing. They reveal our heart. And so when you get a new heart, it's going to reveal, it's going to talk about new things. So you're going to begin to talk about Christ and the things of God instead of talking about all the evil other things that you once talked about. So this is the gospel that Christ came to our world and he was the word. And I love it that this word was perfect and he gives us hope today. The darkness has not overcome Christ. That through him we have victory. And so our tongues can be tamed when we submit our tongues to Christ. When we submit our hearts to Christ. Have you done that this morning? Have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you just surrendered it all? Said, Lord, I'm giving you control over my life. Take my heart. I can't do this on my own. If that's you, then this morning we get an incredible opportunity to celebrate what he's done for us. Something Christians have called the Lord's Supper or communion. Uh, if you are a guest with us, and I just do want to welcome, uh, we have um, some guests with us today from the Governor's Honor Academy. They're at Marshall. These are, you're all high school students, right? Um, and so I know Uwe... Uh, Dr. Lawani and Zach has been working with you guys, and so they're from different parts of the state. Are you all from West Virginia? And so you're at Marshall, and they've joined us this morning. And so um, I know we have other guests with us this morning as well. If you are a guest, we, we practice open communion, so you don't have to be a member of this church to take communion, but you do need to be uh, a follower of Christ, one who has confessed their sin, um, you, you've... Um, desired to be baptized and been baptized and we want to encourage you to come forward during this time um, once you've had an opportunity to confess your sin um, anything that maybe you can think of words that you've said um, and I just think about maybe this is one of those moments where you just meditate on things that you've said and you need to seek forgiveness this morning maybe it's somebody in this room and I, I would just ask, and the scripture asks you as well, command you, before you take of this cup this morning, that you reconcile with your brother and sister. 
that maybe you need to walk across the room and say, hey, I said something a few weeks ago. You may not even realize it, but I shouldn't have said that to you. Can you forgive me? So this will be a time of reconciliation, confession this morning. But whenever you're ready, then you just come. And you'll just take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And then you can um, take of the Lord's Supper this morning. The bread is this beautiful picture that it was Christ's body that was broken for us. The cup represents his blood um, that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so this was something that Jesus told his disciples to do right before he was crucified. And he told them to do this in remembrance of me. And so for 2,000 years now, we have, as Christians, continued to do this. Um, and so we want to invite you to be a part of this this morning. Uh, if you would like just to talk to me or pray, I'll be in the back for a bit before I come to take um, from the table. So if you'd like to come and pray, I'll be in the back. We'd love to just pray with you. So this is a time where you uh, just get right with the Lord. Both stations are the same, so if you're new, you can come to either line. You come whenever you're ready.